Good morning. Today is Sunday, November 20th, 2022. If I was writing the Torah, I would have written it differently. I would have included in the narrative how wicked Yishmael was. Yishmael, remember, was the son of Avraham and Hagar. He was the first child that Avraham fathered. He tried to kill his baby half-brother Yitzchak. He was violent and he was evil. Of course, Avraham had to expel him from his home. I would have included in the narrative how wicked Esav is. Esav, one of the twin brothers born in our parsha of Toldos to Rivka and Yitzchak. He pretended to be pious in order to fool his father into giving him the blessing when he really did not deserve it. He committed murder. He denied God. Of course, Yitzchak could not give him the blessing. Of course, the blessing had to go to his younger brother, Yaakov. But the Torah does not say that. On the contrary, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out that when we read the description, when Avraham sends away Hagar and Yishmael, and their water runs out, and Hagar places Yishmael under a bush and sat at a distance so she will not see him die, it's impossible to read that passage without feeling intense sympathy for both of them. Mother and child, they are both crying, and we're crying along with them. A little baby, a little boy is dying of thirst until an angel miraculously intervenes. Likewise, in the case of Esau, this central narrative of our portion where Yaakov disguises himself in order to take the blessing from his father Yitzchak that Yitzchak intended to give to Esau. And then we have this dramatic emotional climax near the end of the Parsha when Esau comes in after Yaakov has tricked his father and taken the blessing and then Esau comes in and Esau says, where's my blessing? And the Torah tells us Yitzchak trembled a very great trembling. Who was it who came in and took the blessing? Yitzchak realizes that something happened that he didn't want to happen, that he didn't understand. And then when Esau heard his father's words, he cried an intensely loud and bitter cry. How can you not feel sympathy for Esau, who seems to have done nothing wrong and the blessing is taken away from him? These two passages are among the most powerful descriptions of emotion in the whole Torah, and they achieve precisely the opposite of what we would expect. So why cause us, through the text of the Torah, to feel their pain, to feel empathy for them, and then to think, well, they're so relatable, and then to choose the other? Yishmael is rejected, 
and Yitzchak is chosen, Yaakov is accepted, Esav is rejected. So one approach to understanding this anomaly, and this is an, a fundamental approach to interpreting and understanding the Torah, every part of the Torah, and I refer to this approach as a midrashic approach. In other words, the rabbis construct background stories, not in the text of the Torah, perhaps hinted at in the text of the Torah, but all of the details that I mentioned, the evil of Yishmael and the evil of Esav, they are found in the Midrash, not in the text of the Torah itself. In other words, our rabbis give us fleshed-out personalities as they ascribe words and actions to these characters. Now, it's complicated to know if the rabbis mean to assert that these things actually literally happened, or are the rabbis providing context? Are they giving us the sense of the matter, which is often ambiguous and contradictory, just as real life is? So that's a complicated subject. And this happens very often in the Torah. For example, how old was Yitzchak at Akedas Yitzchak, at the binding of Isaac? When Avram was ready to offer him as an offering, thinking that's what God wanted, how old was Yitzchak? Well, it's very interesting. In the Midrash, our rabbis have different opinions. One opinion says that he was three. Another opinion says he was 13. A third opinion says he was 33. Now, we don't know because the Torah does not tell us in the text. And we have these different opinions. So what does it mean to have these different opinions? Maybe it means to suggest that Yitzchak's participation would mean something different if he was three or if he was 13, or if he was 33, his level of maturity, his level of acquiescence would be a very different story. It's a different narrative if he's 33 years old as opposed to if he's three years old. So much of the commentary of the Torah that we know, what he said, what she did, for example, so much of the commentary of Rashi is Midrash. And that is an important part of how we understand the Torah, but it is not actually in the text of the Torah itself. <clears throat> there is another approach to understanding the Torah, the entire Torah, and this we refer to as Omek Pshuto Shomikra, a close, deep reading of the actual text of the Torah to guide us in how to interpret and understand it. So let's use this approach now. What does the Torah actually say about Yishmael and Esav? For neither Yishmael nor Esav do we see anything in the text of the Torah that is evil or wicked. There is nothing in the text of the Torah that would lead to a rationale for why they were rejected and their brother was chosen. What do we see in the text of the Torah? 
Yishmael, is described in the text of the Torah as a wild man, an aggressive archer. Esav is described in the Torah as a physical man, a man of the field. Both of them are described as strong, unafraid, rooted in the physical, mundane world. As opposed to Yitzchak and Yaakov, who are described in the Torah as meditative, scholarly, spiritual. And Rabbi Jonathan Sachs writes that the choosing of Yitzchak over Yishmael and the choosing of Yaakov over Esau is one of the most fundamental lessons of Judaism to the world. And that is, there is more to this world than just what we see and taste and feel. Earth is connected to heaven. The physical has a counterpart in the spiritual. This is the meaning of the famous dream of Yaakov that we will read about in next week's Torah portion, where there is a ladder and it is rooted and resting on the ground, but it reaches up to the heaven. And that ladder symbolizes the connection between the two. Now, I don't understand why Rivka had to deceive her husband Yitzchak in order for Yaakov to receive the blessing instead of Esav. I don't understand that. But Rivka understood that Yaakov needed that blessing, the blessing of physical plenty, the blessing that Yaakov actually receives in our portion from his father Yitzchak. The blessing, May God give you from the dew of the heavens and from the fat, fertile produce of the earth. Yaakov needed that blessing because you can't survive if you're only spiritual and meditative. So Yaakov needed the blessing of what is essentially Esau's world. But you can't find meaning in life if you are only physical. If you don't comprehend that there is something beyond ourselves, something that connects all of us outside of biology, something that transcends nature, namely God and all that God teaches us. The clash of Yishmael and Yitzchak the clash of Esav and Yaakov is the clash of opposing worldviews. The Rav, Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik, wrote, the central figure in Jewish history has not been the king, nor the general, nor the prime minister. The central figure in Jewish history is the teacher surrounded by children. We have kings, we have generals, we have prime ministers. They are important because they are necessary and we respect them, but they are not central. Our central figure is Yitzchak, not Yishmael. Our central figure is Yaakov, not Esau.
Our central figures are those who are strong enough to live and flourish in this physical mundane world while being spiritual enough to give life meaning beyond ourselves. The unfolding of the entire first book of the Torah, the book of Bereshis, is a repeated choosing of one way of living over another. One philosophy or ideology is rejected while another is embraced. Noah is embraced and not those who died in the flood. Avraham is embraced and not Haran, his brother. Yitzchak is embraced and not Yishmael. Yaakov is embraced and not Esav. And it is Yaakov, known to us as Yisrael Saba, Israel, our grandfather, our patriarch, who establishes the foundation for our world view. In the words of Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein, we too, every one of us, you and me, disciples of Yaakov, have a continuous obligation to strive for a life of meaningful spiritual fulfillment that goes beyond life's functional necessities. Friends, I want to wish you a great day, and I look forward to seeing you soon in person.